Bienvenido and thank you for listening to the Word con Sazón podcast, a sermon collective of reforming Latinos. The following sermon was given at Christ Redeemer Church in Moreno Valley, California by Pastor Martin Medina. For more information about the church or the pastor, please go to our show notes below. Mark will be in Mark chapter 8, reading verses 22 through 26, and we'll be highlighting 27 through 29 in the rest of the sermon, but we'll just read 22 through 26 for now. The Gospel of Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26. The, wor the word of the Lord says this, And they came, that is Christ and his disciples, to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, is Christ worthy? Is Christ worthy? He is, Lord. Even as we've been singing, is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is, he is, he is, Lord. And even this time as we seek to preach Christ from the text, as we seek to open up the living word to show who Christ is for his people, is he worthy for our attention? Is he worthy for our mind? Is he worthy for our ears? Is he worthy? Yes, Lord, he's so worthy. So help our hearts to be gripped by, his fact, by the fact that he is worthy of our time, even now, in Christ's name, amen, amen. Well, you know, when you're young, especially when you're a teenager or maybe even younger these days, you think that you have a clear vision of what life is like. You think that you know what money is like as a kid. You think that you see your parents and you even think, oh, you know, they make good money. Why can't they just buy me this or give me that? Or you see politics and you wonder, man, is there not a better way to do politics? You see jobs and you think, man, I'd rather go to work 40 hours a week than go to school and do homework, da 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 da. Right? We think we see, we think we know, we think that we see things for what they are. Even some of us, when we were younger in the faith, we thought we knew things. We thought that we saw Christianity for what it was. But then there comes a time when you get real sight. As you get older, you get wisdom. As you get older, you begin to understand life better. You begin to understand the complexities of politics and the complexities of jobs and money and payments and debt and so forth. The older you get, you begin to realize the reality of life, don't you not? And this morning, what we're seeing is that in the blind man, he thinks he sees things for what they are, but Christ continues to develop his vision. But let's begin with verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. This is going to be very, very important. The city of Bethsaida is going to be a very important 
detail in the closing of our sermon. So just keep that in mind. But Bethsaida was on the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the northern sea. It was near the Jordan River, and the city was called the House of Fishermen, right? The House of Fish, because obviously it was so close to the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, everyone did fishing for their work. And remember last week, we see essentially that the disciples still had cloudy vision. They still had hearts that were hardened. They still could not perceive things. And Christ says, are you still not able to perceive? Are you still not able to understand? Are your hearts still hardened? And what we're going to see here is the important placement of the text. You have that last week, and now we see the blind man, and then Peter as well confessing to Christ. So what happens? These men, it says, some people brought to him, that is Christ, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. They are imploring him. Think about the pain of being blind. It isn't as easy of saying as saying, so-and-so, there's the guy you want to talk to. That's Jesus right there. If you go to him, he can heal you of your vision. No, he can't even do that because the blind man has no idea who Jesus is. He can't just walk to the man and say, can you heal me? He can maybe hear the crowds, but even at the crowds, he could be facing the wrong direction. The pain of being blind. He had to trust, literally blindly, men who were around him to get him to and from. He had to trust men who were around him to give him, get him to the right Jesus, to the right miracle worker. So this pain of being blind, we read it and we think, oh, cool, the blind man. Listen, this man likely would have lost his vision at some point, probably due to malnutrition or some event in his life, and he would have been completely dependent on those around him to be able to live life. He couldn't go work a job. He couldn't even, in a sense, cook himself a meal day in and day out. He was completely and utterly dependent on those outside of him. And so verse 23 shows us Christ's response. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. So again, here we see something in a sense odd, but caring. Christ is a, a kind, very kind, loving Savior. He knows this man's blind, so he takes him by the hand. He leads him out of the village. Maybe he wanted to be alone with this man because he knew that he was going to do this miracle for him where it involves spitting on his eyes. So he takes him alone and says, you know what, with the touch, with sign language as it were, I'm going to show you my tender care for you. And we see something unique. Christ never, never does this elsewhere that we see in Scripture. There he says, when he spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Listen, find me anywhere where Christ performs a miracle and he asks the individual a question afterward. You find me a place in the Bible where Christ does a, a work of healing. Imagine, Christ tells Lazarus, come forth. Does Christ ask Lazarus, are you, are you really awake? Are you really alive, Lazarus? No, this is the only time in Scripture that we see this happening. And this is an important detail. We'll get to it in a second again in closing. Verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So the man can see. He's still thrilled that he has vision. 
He's still excited that he sees men. Though he sees them as humans, as trees, sorry, they're blurry. But to his heart, he is completely overjoyed and happy that he has some form of sight. Again, crucial details for us. And yet Christ does not leave him as such. Verse 25, Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Two-step healing. What is this? Is Christ losing power? He just told a woman that her daughter was healed, right? He just told, he just made a deaf man be able to have the gift of hearing again? Is Christ losing his ability to save? No. Again, Christ is not losing power, not in the slightest. We, we see something here happening that's unique for us this morning. And the last verse, and he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Do not even enter the village. Easy story, right? There's a blind man. His friends bring him to Christ. Christ spits on his hands. He spits on his eyes. He heals him. The man can barely see. It's blurry. So he heals him again. And now he sees clearly. It's a very, very simple story. Even the youngest of kids can understand that a blind man was healed by Jesus that morning. But what relevance does it have for us this morning? I don't think that anyone here is blind. I don't think that anyone here cannot see me or thinks I'm a tree up here. No, everyone can see perfectly to some degree. Everyone can see me as I am. So what for us is in the text? Number one, I would say that there's an element here that I want to spend some time on called gospel friendship. Gospel friendship. What do we see? We see friends telling this man that he needs to get help. We see friends caring enough for this man to show him, hey, if there's someone that can help you, you might want to go see him. If there's someone who could heal you, let's pay him a visit. So you have friends who are honest, who tell him his need, who are explaining to him the fact that if we do this, you might be independent. You might be able to live your own life. These friends care for him enough to tell him the truth is what I'm saying. And these friends don't just tell him the truth, right? We all have those friends who love to tell us what to do, who love to tell us where we're wrong, and that's where it ends. No, these friends are better than that. These friends don't just tell him that he's blind and there's a man named Jesus. They bring him to Jesus. They inconvenience themselves. They take the time. They use their energy. Maybe they even had to wrestle with him for a little bit. No, I'm telling you, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. We'll take you. We'll do all the talking for you. How do I know that? Because their actions are matching their words. Remember, this is a blind man. These friends couldn't just tell them about Jesus. These friends needed to take this man to Jesus. And more than that, more than that, he, this, these friends don't just tell them where he needs to find help. They don't just take him to where they, he needs to find help. Listen to this. These friends plead for the sake of this blind man. They tell him, they take him, and they plead for him. Listen, the Bible is full of texts that are called the one another text. Right? Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, build one another up. The Bible is full of what I would call friendship that is rooted and based in the gospel. How many of us this morning have not, in a sense, come to Christ by one way or another, because of a friend or a loved one that took us to Christ. 
How many of us this morning did not have moments where we were falling into sin and going away from the Lord and a friend had to, in a sense, give us hurtful words that are just open love, open rebuke, right? It isn't hidden love. The Bible teaches clear and, and thoroughly that we need to be friends that are rooted in the gospel for one another. Listen, these people told this blind man about Christ. They took him to Christ and they even pled and, and begged Christ. Just picture the scene in your mind. This blind man likely hugging two people next to him, just walking along, walking along. Imagine they come to a stop and they're there and there's Christ. And there's a blind man and a couple of friends. The blind man has no idea that he's there. And these friends, what do they do? Imagine hearing your friend plead to Christ on behalf of you. Heal him, Christ. They're begging him, would you please just touch him, Christ. This morning, I honestly want you to search your heart. Do you take your friends to Christ in prayer? Outside of our little family, our children, or our spouses, are we taking anyone else to Christ in prayer? Are we pleading for others in prayer, saying, Lord, would you please heal them? Would you please deliver them? Lord, would you please be gracious to them? Or do we look at our friends and think, man, they're just always going to be like that. He's just always going to be blind in this area. He's just always going to be blind in that area. Or do we, like gospel-rooted friends, take our loved ones in prayer to Christ and say, Lord, you can heal them. Lord, you can truly sanctify them. You can deliver them. Do you plead for others, even their salvation? Listen, there is such a beautiful reality in who Christ is as our friend. Christ, who says, lay down his life for who? For his friends. There's no greater love than this than to lay my life down for my friends. And if we're to emulate Christ and to look to Christ as our example, ask yourself this morning, in what capacity am I laying down my life for my friends, for my loved ones. When we look to Christ, we see his tender friendship, teaching, discipling, his intimate friendship. He takes time with his disciples, his honest friendship. He tells the disciples when they need to shape him up. He prays in the garden for his disciples. And listen, he dies for his disciples and his people. This morning, ask yourself, am I the type of friend that encourages those around me to be more like Christ? Am I the type of friend who builds up my brothers and my sisters in the faith and who looks to the lost and says, I'm going to be a friend to them because they need a friend to tell them about Jesus. There is something unique about the way God uses likable, kind friends in the lives of others. It goes something like this, right? You befriend someone and you gain that person's trust and you show that person, hey, I've been here through, with you through this, through that, and through the other. I've been at times inconvenienced to come help you, but I will make you feel the weight of that. I've been at times, you know, had to stay on the phone with you when I would rather have been inside with my family, whatever it is. But you gain the trust of another person. And so what happens is that person now trusts you and comes to you and knows that any information you deliver over them isn't out of hate or a spite. No, it's out of a heart of love. So then that person looks at you and thinks, okay, this person is telling me these are the areas of my life that I need Christ in. 
or this is the area of my life I just need Christ in because I'm not even saved. And they'll look at you and think, you know, this person's been with me and through me and, and has, has been by my side through thick and thin. I can trust them. I can, in a sense, take their word with love, knowing that they aren't trying to hurt me, knowing that they have my best interest in mind. Like these men, the blind man had to trust them, but they've earned his trust. They were the ones likely taking him around town to get food. They were the ones likely moving him from point A to point B. They were the ones who already were serving him before this story is what I'm saying. So this morning, ask yourselves, am I being a friend that is rooted in the gospel to those around me? Or am I just serving myself? Is my whole life built around what my needs are? What I need to do? What I need to get done? What my schedule looks like? What my cares and interests are? Or are we like Christ who sacrifices and gives up even our life, as it were, for the sake of our friends. So that's number one. We see gospel friendship in the text. And number two, we see gospel vision. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that Jesus alone, listen, Jesus alone is the one who can open the eyes of the blind. And in the scriptures, we see that anytime darkened vision is used, anytime the word blindness is used, it's always used in a spiritual state in the Old Testament. They were darkened in the understanding. They had blind, they couldn't see the Lord. So what's going on here is actually imagery for us. Because we, all of us in this room, were blind in our natural state. We had vision, physical vision, but we were blind to the things of the Lord. There was not one person who was born seeing the Lord as he should have saw him. Otherwise, if we don't hold this view, we think that we're smarter than others because we could see Christ. We could see theology. We could see the Bible for what it is. No, listen, all of us, all of us are indebted to one thing, and it's called grace. Grace and grace alone. No one, no one in this room came up and said, you know what, I'm blind spiritually, but I think I want to start seeing now. No one did that. This man couldn't just one day think, I'm sick of being blind. I'm going to heal myself. No, this man had to go to the only one who could open up his eyes. So this morning is what I'm saying is if you are saved this morning, it's not because you're smarter or wiser or holier than anyone else. It's because you, like this blind man, depended on grace and grace alone, on the touch of Christ, on the opening of our eyes by Christ, and to our closeness of Christ. It's all of Christ and it's all of grace. No boasting. No boasting. If it was anything of us, we would have cause to boast. But no, this blind man did nothing. He could do nothing except depend on the sovereign grace of Christ. His testimony would have been this. Dude, right? He's walking the streets. You can see now? What happened? Did you go see some voodoo doctor? Did you go see, get some essential oils and rub them in your eyes? What happened? How can you see now? Could you imagine if this man would have said, you know, well, I made some good decisions, you know? I, I, I had some good thoughts about Christ, and I think, no, no, this man would have said, Christ and Christ alone is the reason that I have sight. Christ and Christ alone. Nothing worked. I had no hope. I was blind, but amazing grace, now I see. Gospel friendship and gospel vision. We see the total, total depravity of man shown for us here. We see the irresistible grace of Christ shown for us here. It's a perfect example. 
But remember, this is a two-step healing. His first vision was cloudy, was it not? Seeing men, but as trees. So my third point of application is gospel, what I would say, sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Remember, this man saw rightly, he saw men, but he saw them as trees. So the point is here, he saw men for, who, for what they were. They were men, but not perfectly. He couldn't tell you the perfect description of every single person that was walking by. It was still blurry. It was just enough to know that Jesus had truly opened his eyes. It was just enough. Jesus had healed him enough to show and to see, I have vision now. But you see, this is pre progressive sanctification. There's some major principles in the text here. And here's what it is. Be patient with your vision of Christ. Be patient with your vision and with the vision of others. What do I mean by that? The work that Jesus begins in someone, he will finish. That's what we're seeing here. The two-step salvation, or the two-step, sorry, healing. He heals his vision, blurry, but then he restores it fully. So in your life, okay? In your life, when you are looking and examining on your ability to comprehend theology, or your ability to read the Word, and to understand what the Word means at the point of reading, or your ability to pray, or even your ability to be a gospel friend, whatever it is, as you examine your life, don't think, I'm too dumb for this stuff. I'm just not a reader. I can't pick up books and read. I'm not really into the Bible. right? Some of those things could be sins, and I fully admit that. But what I'm saying is, if you're doing the diligent work of reading and praying and studying, be patient with yourself. What are trees right now, you'll see them clearly someday. What is just minor theology, you'll know better theology someday. What is just a small understanding of the Word of God, someday you'll have a deeper understanding of the Word of God if you stay consistent in those disciplines of grace and if you stay consistent in your nearness to Christ. Enjoy the process even. Don't make it a burden to have to learn every single detail about theology and then now you're so overwhelmed. No, enjoy the process. Get to know Christ. Stay near to Christ. Trust that He'll continue to shape your vision day in and day out so one day you see Him as He is. The same with others. And I think this is probably what we need the most. Because we're patient with ourselves. <laughs> but with others, I'm not even sure if they're saved. Did you hear what He said? Did you hear the books He's reading? Right? How many of us, when we were first Christians, were reading some whack, whack stuff? Right? How many of us? How many of us were doing things we should have never been doing in the name of Christ? But all we knew is, there's a man who saved me, his name is Christ, and I want to live for him. What that looks like, I'm not sure yet. What he's about, I'm still learning. But all I know is I, know I owe my life to that man, and I'm going to serve him in any capacity. And early on, and some of us, that looked really weird, right? The things we were doing. But all we knew is I have vision. Blurry. I see men as trees, but I have vision. But thankfully, the Lord is renewing our vision and renewing our vision. So be patient with others. If you hear someone make a funny comment about Christ, don't harp on them. Just love them through it. Talk to them. Show them a better way. But don't dismiss someone's salvation just because they have some cloudy vision in some areas. Be patient. Right? But what's also key in this text is 
that Christ does want our vision to improve. Because there are those individuals who always say, I'll always have cloudy vision. I'll always never know things for what they are. I'll, I'll always be too dumb or too lazy or whatever it is to study theology. No, Christ is making a, a, a vivid point here. He gives you vision. He improves your vision. But your vision is going to improve. If you can look back on your life and things that you were struggling with you know, 15 years ago, you're still struggling with them, it's probably because you haven't really given that area attention. right? If you're still not sure about the doctrine of Christ or the doctrine of the Trinity or whatever it is, it's probably because you haven't been working out your eyes to get better vision. So have patience, yes, but also work toward improving your vision in Christ. Work, work in that area. And what I think this morning is that any of us, even if we have the slightest vision to see Christ for who He is, even if this morning we could see Christ on the cross, dying for sinners, and that's our hope. Christ, His resurrection, giving us new life, and that's our hope. If we see the love of Christ, dying for sinners and resurrecting, and that's our hope. If we see His beauty, His worthiness, then listen, you should be falling down on your knees, praising the living God. Why? Because He made a blind man or woman see in you. If any of us this morning could see any detail of Christ in a saving way, that is a divine miracle. Listen, people want to see miracles done every day in Christianity. They want to see limbs extended. They want to see people who are in wheelchairs walk. What I'm saying is every time a sinner is born again, that is a divine miracle of grace. If you have sight this morning, dear Christian, fall down on your knees and worship Him because you were blind, but now you see. You once hated Him, but now you love Him. You once abhorred the things of Christianity, and now you want the things of Christianity. You were once afar off, but He brought you near. He cleansed your eyes, and now you see Him. That's what Hebrews 1 and 2 is all about. I'll turn there just to read what it says. Hebrews 1 and 2. Sorry, 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus. The, the secret to the Christian life is a constant looking to Jesus. Looking to what He's done. Looking to His life for you, His love for you, His care for you. The more you gaze upon the person of Christ, the less you'll desire the things of the world. The more you see what Christ sacrificed on your behalf, the more you'll be tempted to mess with those sins that He died and was slain for. So our vision matters. Be patient. It's progressive. But continually look to Christ. Look to Him. Look to Him. Look to Him. And lastly, gospel rejection. Right? We went over gospel friendship. We went over gospel vision. We went over gospel sanctification. And lastly is what I'm calling gospel rejection. Why do I say this? Look at verse 26 again. Verse 26. And he sent him away to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Remember what I said about Bethsaida in the beginning. Bethsaida is going to be very, very important in our closing. Why? Because Bethsaida, before this, 
was already pronounced woes against. Matthew 11, it says, Woe to Bethsaida. Basically, Bethsaida be damned. Because Bethsaida ignored the miracles and signs that I did in and amongst her midst. It'll be more tolerable for other cities than for you, Bethsaida, on the day of judgment. So what Christ is saying is on the day of judgment, because of the light that was given to Bethsaida, they'll be judged more harshly because the light that went to them did not go to these cities. So why does Christ tell him to not go into the village? It's because Christ, in a sense, is giving Bethsaida over to their sinful desires, their darkened understanding. They've rejected the gospel time and time again, and that has consequences, dear friends. To reject the gospel over and over it's to spit in the face of God over and over, and it does have ramifications. Remember, he took the man out of Bethsaida, and he says, don't go back in. Perhaps people in the village were saying things like, tomorrow when Christ comes back, I'll deal with him. I'll talk to him then. Perhaps tomorrow I'll start to make it right in my soul. Perhaps tomorrow when Christ comes back to the village, I'll begin to have real dealings and deal with the Lord. Perhaps tomorrow I'll be ready to give up my sin. Perhaps tomorrow I'll be waiting for him so that I can finally have these discussions that I've been wrestling with this. Listen, tomorrow is never promised. Like the proverb says, do not boast about tomorrow for you have no idea what tomorrow even holds. Don't deal with Christ tomorrow. These people like you were waiting for Christ to come back. So listen to me, dear friends. There's a day. There is coming a day for all what I would call reprobate unbelievers, those who will never come to Christ. There comes a day in their life where they hear the gospel for the last time. And that's sobering, sobering news. It's scary news. It's Christ telling this man, don't go back to that village. I'm done with that village. They saw signs upon signs upon signs. They spurned them. They spurned them. They spurned them. I'm done with them. Don't go back in that village. Now, we don't hear this Christ preached too often. But there is a day in the life of unbelievers if they spurn the gospel over and over where Christ, like Romans 1 says, God gives them over to a debased mind. He lets them fulfill their, their, their darkened understanding and their evil desires. He says, have at it. You reject the gospel, it's yours. Live any way you want. In a sense, go as happy as you can to hell because what awaits for you there is heavy and is scary. So what I'm saying is gospel rejection is real. My friends, you don't need to spurn the gospel. You don't need to reject the gospel. It would be the most foolish thing this morning for you to reject the gospel. And God forbid, God forbid that this is not the last time you hear the gospel. But act as if it is so that you will no longer wait to come to Christ. Because you've heard Week in and week out, we preach the same thing. Christ, His love, His grace, His ability, His commands, His expectations. You're receiving light upon light upon light. Don't despise the light for the sake of the darkness. Repent and believe. Trust in His life and His death and His resurrection. And church, this morning, thank God that at some point you did not reject the gospel. Thank God that at some point you had a miracle performed upon you. And it's called the miracle of sight and seeing and looking to Christ. Church, this morning what I'm saying is plead for more sight. 
What I'm saying is, praise the Lord, you have sight. Continue to look to Christ. Continue to hope in Christ. Continue to even point people to Christ as a gospel, friends. But this morning, if you're in Christ, I just plead with you that you would cherish the fact that you could see Him. Cherish the fact that you know who He is. Because there's millions upon millions of people who have been given over by God. But you, no better than them. No wiser than them. Not more worthy than them. God has had divine mercy upon you. And He's opened your eyes. Don't get fixated on the troubles of this world and the cares of this life and the concerns of the temporal. Continue to look to Christ and see Him for who He is. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You that many, many in this room could say, I see Christ. I see Him high and lifted up. I look to Christ like that bronze serpent in the wilderness. He healed me of my sin. He delivered me from my sin. He's washed me new in the flowing blood of Emmanuel. Lord, we praise You that many, many in this room know what it is to have sight and to have true vision of Christ. But Lord, we pray for any who do not know You, Lord. We pray for any who think that they have sight, but they actually do not, Lord. We ask that You would save them, and that they would not reject the gospel, lest it be the last time they hear it, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen.